Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. And we are in the middle of a series called Seven. And, um, you know, this uh, series is all about seven letters that were written to seven churches. You know, it's the thing about the book of Revelation, who knows that it's kind of one of those books that, let's be honest, we kind of stay away from right? Like, I mean, we know that we're to read the whole Bible, but if we can just stop before the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation, then we might find a little bit, you know, easy to understand. Because when we get to Revelation, it can be a little bit confusing, right? Like, that's not just me. It can get a bit confusing. You know, the, the writer of Revelation, John, um, he's, he had a pretty hard task. You know, I, know if, I don't know if anyone's ever asked you to do this. Try to picture a colour that you've never seen before. And then now try to put words to that colour. Okay, that is kind of like the task that John had before him. You see, Jesus had given him a vision and he had to try to put words to things that he had never seen before. And that is why when it gets to the book of Revelation, it can be a little bit confusing at times to understand. But the book of Revelation also promises a blessing for those who read it. You know, I think that um, part of the reason for that is that um, when we read the book of Revelation, it actually points to scripture from the Old and New Testament. It points back all the way throughout the Bible. There are so many references to scripture in just the book of Revelation. Now, I've heard someone say this. They said the Bible's a bit like a textbook. All the answers are in the back right? All the answers are in Revelation because it just points back to Scripture so frequently that it's almost like it's like that. So yes, it can be a little bit complicated and yes, we can have the, tempting, the temptation to kind of stick to what we understand and, and, and not delve into trying to understand the things that are confusing. But we thought as a church what would be really great is to go after that blessing and to actually spend seven weeks unpacking part of Revelation. And the part that we're focusing on is these letters to these churches. You know, the letters that we read, some scholars would say, and it's a, it's a controversial view, not everyone would agree with this, but some scholars would say that these letters were actually um, written in a very specific order. And I mean, let's be honest, we wouldn't put it past our God, right, to do that intentionally. But they say that these letters represent different churches through time. And if we were, if the letters were in any other order, this would not be true. So we're up to the fourth letter today, the letter to, uh, to Thyatira. And this letter, if that was to be true, it would represent the medieval church. So the church for around 600 to 1500 AD. You know, the Bible, I think Revelation really shows this point so well, is that the Bible, while in today's day, maybe it started to be seen as something that's a little bit old-fashioned. The Bible is not old-fashioned. It is something that is relevant today. We have a God who is the same, you know, past, present, future, and His Word is living and active today. This Bible, this Word is for today, but it also points to the future. And we see in Revelation things that are yet to come. But when it comes to these churches, scholars, some scholars would say that we can see some of the past reflected in the letters that we read. But who knows that we can still learn a lot from the mistakes of those churches today. Because over 2,000 years after Jesus has died, we are still making so many of those mistakes today. And those letters are there to both encourage the churches 
and also to bring correction to the churches. So, as I said, the the letter that we are reading today is to the church of Thyatira. Now, guys, I've spent a lot of time trying to get that right. (laughs) Thyatira, right? So, just bear with me today if it comes out a little weird, right? The third and the art, yeah, you you give it a go later, but the church of Thyatira. And if I'm saying it wrong, well, that's how we say it now. So, just embrace it. Um, But a couple of things about this church that um, that are, are really interesting to note, particularly as we unpack pack the letter itself. This church was actually quite a politically and culturally marginalised church. They were still really uh, finding their identity economically. So the church itself was quite a small church and honestly a little bit of a weird choice to be honest by Jesus to write a letter to. But who knows that the intention of this letter was to go much further than just the church of Thyatira, right? The two main trades in this area were in fabric and in metal. Okay, so most of the people there, that's kind of how they made their, made their money, was in fabric and in metal. And as I said, if, if this was to um, represent the medieval church, something that Pastor Ben mentioned last week that um, is really important is there is a, almost a period of time where the church started to marry the world a little bit, right? So instead of Christians being persecuted, Christianity became the state religion. And from that, the paganism of Rome and, and all of this started to started to kind of blend with Christianity. It meant that religious leaders, instead of just doing it out of a pure love for God, started to at times do it for status, do it for wealth. And the, what was intended to be a role that was to lead people out of love can at times became a role that was actually to lead people in a way that was taking advantage of them, which is never the heart of the gospel and of our God. So we're going to jump into Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29, as we read the church to Thyatira. It says in verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God. This is the first and only letter that Jesus introduces himself as the son of God of these letters. And that's actually really important. It gives us a bit of a clue about what is happening in the church of Thyatira. So keep that in mind. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it in just a moment. Who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Those references there to that imagery of Jesus, those references are there as a reminder of Jesus as the righteous judge. They are actually images of judgment, eyes like fire, feet of burnished bronze. It says in verse 19, I know your works, your love. This is the first church that has been commended for their love. They have got some good things going on, right? And that's not the only thing they have. It says for your love and faith and service and patient endurance. They're good things, guys. And that your latter works exceed the first. In other words, they're getting better. Their works now are exceeding the works in the past. So their works are getting better and better. But as with many of the other letters, start strong, takes a downward turn. So in verse 20, we see, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Talk about a downhill. We were doing so well there and then we start to take a really steep downward dive. To understand this a little bit more, it's um, probably good to understand a little bit about about who Jezebel is. 
So Jezebel is a woman that we read about in 1 and 2 Kings and she was the wife of an Israelite king called King Ahab. But Jezebel, she was not, she was not from Israel. In fact, she was the daughter of the king of the Sidonians. And the thing about Jezebel is that she was not a nice woman. Okay, she's not the kind of woman you want your children to grow up like. You do not call your children Jezebel, okay? <laughs> Bad idea because Jezebel, she was known for this drive for power. She was known for being incredibly manipulative. She killed many, many prophets of God and she would do whatever she needed to do to get what she wanted. Now, that involved a lot of violence, a lot of killing of people. Um, and then what she would do after she killed them is then she would uh, manipulate people to lie to cover up her tracks. That is the kind of woman that Jezebel was. Now, what this scripture is not saying is that Jezebel has come back to life in the New Testament church and she's um, now in their church, okay? They're not saying it's not the same Jezebel, but what it is saying is that there was most likely a woman who carried that same spirit as Jezebel. Whether her name was Jezebel or not is irrelevant because what was happening is that she, she fulfilled the same role that Jezebel fulfilled. She would get what she wanted through pleasure, through luxury and through violence. And the reason that Jezebel and this woman are such a big deal is because they're a massive part in leading Israel astray and into idolatry, leading them astray and out of relationship with God. So we'll continue reading in verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. In other words, if you are with her, then you are not with me. Right? If you are with her, you are not with me. So if you do not repent, then... You're, I'm lumping you in with her, right? We continue reading and it says, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. So if you're withstanding this Jezebel woman and you're staying true to God, keep it up. Okay, he's saying, I actually have, like, I have no correction for you. Keep it up. And then he says, only hold fast until what you have until I come. So here what we see is a reference to the second coming of Jesus. He's saying, keep it up, guys, until I come back or until you meet me where I am, right? Keep it up. Keep going with the good work that you are doing. The only one who conquers and who keeps my works uh, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. This phrase here, authority over nations, is again actually really important in reference to what's happening in Thyatira. The reason that that's so important is because we know that the only one who has the authority over nations is Jesus. But what did Jezebel want? Authority, power. She wanted power over nations. You know, what do we see that Satan wants? It says, you know, the deep things of Satan. What does Satan want? Power over nations. And it's no different with the woman they were seeing in the church at this time. And so it's so important that we remember that there because 
Satan will so often come to us just like he did to these people in Thyatira and he will come to us even today trying to offer us more control over our lives or power in some way or some form. But that power is empty, right? It's a lie. It may be, te- may be temporary power, but it will never outlast because only only one who can give us authority over nations is Jesus and we do it through him and for him. In verse 27, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. You know, the letter um, to Thyatira, it's the reverse of the first letter that that we learnt about, which was the letter to Ephesus. You see, Ephesus, they had, they had great doctrine. Right? They stuck true to their doctrine, to their beliefs, but they had no love for God. Thyatira have love for God, but absolutely no doctrine. So is it possible to love God and have no doctrine? Yeah, it is. Right? So it's the opposite of the first church. It had different issues to the second church, the church of Smyrna. And it had different issues because for Smyrna, they were persecuted. That was an external issue right? But for Thyatira, their issues are internal, which is quite similar to Pergamum, which is the third letter that we read about and that we've learnt about just last week, in that a lot of their issues were internal and had to do with a sense of idolatry. You know, I think that um, Jesus, he he, he created the compliment sandwich. You know, the compliment sandwich, the one that it's like when you give conflict, like say something nice, put the meat in the middle and then tidy it up with something nice in the end, right? Have you noticed in all of the letters, Jesus tells them what they're doing well and then he puts in the meat and he's like, here's your correction, but by the way, there's a promise at the end, so I'm just going to tie that up nicely for you, right? Jesus invented the compliment sandwich, but the issue that Thyatira are dealing with here is really false prophets, false prophets that are leading them into idolatry and the Bible talks a lot about false prophets. The voice you listen to is the one that you partner with. The voice you listen to is the one you partner with. The world has so many different voices, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. You wake up in the morning, maybe you check social media. Maybe you look at the news report, right? Voices, messages being sent in. Then maybe you go to work and you turn on the radio or you turn on some music. So even some, you know, whatever music it might be, whether it's Christian or secular, it's sending a message to you. And then you get to work and maybe your workplace has some different views or you're talking to colleagues. Again, different messages, different voices. And it can be so confusing to decipher between the voices and what we should believe and partner with and what we shouldn't. You know, I think it's confusing for adults, let alone teenagers in schools at the moment, who are trying to decipher between so many of the voices from their teachers, from the world, from from their friends and what they should believe and what they shouldn't. It's confusing. The voice of the world is confusing and it can be very overwhelming. The question is, do you listen to the voice of the world or do you listen to the voice of God? To know that, you have to know how to tell the difference. So how can we tell the difference? You know, a couple of years ago, um, quite a few years ago now, actually, my, um, when I still lived at home, um, my parents were away for my birthday. And so my nana thought that it would be a really lovely idea to organise a birthday dinner with my nana and grandpa. And so she called up on the landline. So that's how you know how long ago this was. She called up on the landline um, and my sister answered. Now, 
my sister and I have quite similar voices, okay? So she calls and Nana thought it was me. So my sister thought, oh, just play along. Like, I can't tell her now. So she kept going. She hangs up the phone. She comes and finds me and she's laughing. I'm like, what's happening? Like, Sarah, what have you done? She said, oh, look, we've got a birthday dinner with Nana and Grandpa next week. By the way, when she mentions the conversation she had with you on the phone, just play along and pretend it was you. Right? She organised an entire birthday dinner and Nana to this day has no idea. She, Nana did actually say she was going to tune in at 11 today. So if that's the case, Nana, I'm sorry. It was Sarah. But we organised an entire birthday dinner. Why? Nana couldn't tell the difference between our voices. Sometimes the enemy's voice actually sounds quite similar to God. He can imitate the voice of God. He loves to put in 95% truth and 5% lie, right? And so we need to try to work out what is the voice of God. You see, my sister, a couple of years later when I was dating my, um, my, well, now husband, Zach, she thought when he called that it would be fun to try a similar thing. So she answers and tries to pretend and imitates being me. Thing is, Zach and I, we have a relationship. We spend a lot of time together and thankfully he passed the test and he could work out that it was my voice. Why? Because we have that relationship. We spend time together. We, get to, we know each other so well and that's no different when it comes to God. The way that we learn the voice of God is by spending time with him, by building a relationship with him. You know, I think sometimes we, we actually listen to the wrong voice because it's easier. Sometimes we actually choose to listen to the voice that partners with the path of least resistance. Sometimes we partner with the voice that seems a bit easier, a bit more convenient for us. But I want to encourage you, remember to look for the voice of God and not what's going to find you immediate gratification in that moment. The more you make room for Jesus, the more you will know his voice. There's a couple of traits that are very common in false prophets that can help us to identify if someone or even something, some message coming your way is a false prophet in your life. One is false prophets love power and they use it to get what they want. Number two, they create disunity. Often when you look at scriptures in the Bible around false prophets, we find that there is disunity, some kind of discord going on in the church around them. Um, number three, you work, they work for their own gain. Uh, number four, they manipulate situations and others. And number five, they refuse to be corrected. We see this in Jezebel, don't we? We see that she loved power and she used it to get what she wanted. We see that she created disunity. She worked for her own gain. We see that she manipulated situations and others. And we see that she refused to be corrected. How do we know that? Because God gave her the opportunity to repent. It's the same with Satan. We see all of those aspects, all of those, um, all of those traits align with both Satan, Jezebel, and also the woman that is in this church, in the Th- into Thyatira. So... I came across this quote when I was researching for this message and um, it really stuck with me. And it said this, it said, every cult is either the Bible plus or the Bible minus. Now, that might sound pretty serious. It's like, did you just say the word cult? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it does sound serious. Departing from scripture is actually really serious. 
It's serious when we change the word of God. And look, maybe it's not necessarily a cult. Maybe it's just an area in your life or whatever it might be. But I can tell you what, I can think of times when I have seen people either add to the Bible or take away from the Bible. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with someone and they've started explaining something to you and you're like, I don't think I've seen that. I don't think I've seen that in the Bible. I'm pretty sure it's not in there. And they start to overcomplicate what God's intention was and they overcomplicate all these things and maybe sometimes over-spiritualise in a way. Maybe it's a matter of that in, um, in some religions, there are different sacraments that are actually not found in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying it's a cult, but I am saying that are they adding something to the Bible that's not actually there? I don't know, something worth thinking about. And then I see times when people try to downplay the power of Jesus, the power of the gospel, and they downplay the impact of it in their life. They downplay what it actually means for them. They try to work towards God's love instead of just accepting what Jesus has done. That's actually taking away from the Bible. Or, you know, at times people might be like, oh, I like that verse, I like the morals in the Bible, but, I, but the other stuff, I don't really understand, it's just a little bit uncomfortable. Right? That's also, that's taking away from Scripture, but departing from Scripture is actually a really serious thing. I've got a question for you. When you read the Word of God, when you read the Bible, or when you pray to God, do you hear only what you want to hear? Do you ever have moments in prayer or reading the Bible where you feel a little bit convicted? where you feel like there's a bit of correction? Or do you only ever hear things in line with what you want and that help that you can leave and just be like, I'm on top of the world, I'm doing the best, right? See, God, he convicts, but only to encourage us to move closer towards him. If we are only ever hearing, if we are only ever hearing like commendation, chances are we're probably only hearing what we want to hear because none of us are perfect. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. When you read the word, when you pray, and I say when, when you do it, do you let God say what he wants to say to you? Do you read it only for your own gain or do you read it for kingdom gain? Now, hear me in this because it is definitely right to pray to God for things in your life. If you want to see things change and, and, and all of that, to bring your burdens to God, that, do that. Please do that. But is that all you do? Do you actually take time to pray for others, friends, family? Do you pray to see God's kingdom extended? Do you pray to see people come to know the freedom that is found in Jesus? Do you pray for the church? Do you pray for your leaders and politicians? Do you spend time praying for anything else that does not have to do with directly with you? Remember, God doesn't bend to our will, but us to his. And we are never to compromise on scripture. You know, Pastor Ben said last week, he said, you can't blend the word with the world. And I think that is so true. So what voice are you listening to? In the scripture we just read, it talks about God searching our mind and our heart. And I think that gives us a really good clue as to how we are led astray. See, we are led astray through our mind and through our heart. And that is why it's so important that we know God personally because, well, God, what does he do? He renews our mind. He renews our soul. He, he fixes our heart and changes our hearts. But the enemy has always been trying to twist truth and dress it up nice and pretty. 
What that is called is deception. He is the master of deception. He distorts truth and he paints it as a reality. And he's been doing this since the very beginning. Isn't this what we see with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? It's like you have absolutely everything in that place. But that one tree, don't push the red button, right? That one tree, you know, God knew that wasn't good for them. So he said to stay away. And the truth was, is that they had everything they ever needed and everything they could ever want. But when Satan came, he took what was truth. He distorted it through their hearts, the desires of their hearts and messed with their minds. And he convinced them that actually what was truth was a distorted reality that God was keeping things from them and that they needed more power. Right. And we see that same pattern again and again through scripture. And we would be so smart to learn from their mistakes. But who knows that many, 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 many years later, we are still making exactly the same mistakes today. But we would do so well to learn from their mistakes and not fall into the same deception that they did. The other thing that's really important when it comes to identifying the voice of the world versus the voice of God is discernment. See, discernment is really our ability to be able to judge well, judge well where that voice is coming from. And to do that, you need a relationship with God. You need to get spend time learning his voice. Maybe you find it a little bit hard to discern things at times. And I would encourage you, go to friends that have a great relationship with God as well and ask them to help discern, to pray with you. But really what that discernment feels like, if I was to give you any advice in that area, would be really that uh, deep sense of peace, even when you don't necessarily agree or feel comfortable with the outcome. Have you ever had that moment where you've been praying about something and maybe it's a, there's a step you need to take that's outside of your comfort zone? Maybe it's a step you need to take that you're not 100% comfortable with, but you have that sense of peace anyway, because you know, and through that, you know that it's God. And then as you leave, you know, whatever you've been doing or praying in that moment and over the next couple of days, it just doesn't leave you, right? That is a sense of discernment. See, the biggest issue for Thyatira was this. They lacked discernment. They tolerated the heresy and they failed to protect themselves against a woman who was leading them astray into idolatry, into false doctrine and into false practices. And that was the main issue. What you tolerate, you make allowances for. You know, some, uh, a couple of months ago, it wasn't, unfortunately, wasn't too many years ago, and I'm still learning my lessons, my car uh, started making a few noises. It got very loud. Some of you might have heard it in the car park a couple of months ago. I know the youth did because uh, they all laughed at me, but it was making some noises, right? And over time, those noises, they got louder and louder and louder. Someone said to me, I think it's just the fan belt. That's not dangerous for your car. That's fine. And so I took that word as gospel. And I was like, I'm fine. I was also told that I would need a new clutch at some point in the future. And I thought, feels fine now, so I'll just wait, right? Well, turns out clutches turn pretty quickly because before, uh, I mean, I seemed fine for a while and then I started to get to the point where I felt a bit uncomfortable driving my car. I felt a bit unsafe because the clutch was starting to slip. So I get in my car, it's super loud. I'm worried I'm waking up the neighbours. My clutch is slipping and I think, okay, just book in your car. It's been months. So I finally called to book it in, but they couldn't see me for about a month because I'd put it off for so long and they were too busy, right? The following day, I was driving and stopped at a stoplight loving this song on the radio. And I think it was a song from the 80s. I was having a great time. All of a sudden, the music just kind of fades out of my car and then just fades back in. I was like, 
That was a bit weird. Oh, anyway, still on. I'll try and drive forward, drove forward, but everything was very heavy. Happens again, comes back. It's not quite right. Happens again, but only this time it didn't turn back on. Thank goodness for Amy and Michael Robinson who saved me because they were driving behind me. But if you know Michael Robinson, he is the person you want behind you if your car breaks down. And even Michael could not get my car to start, right? My car was uh, quite dead there for a while and it took many days and a lot of money to get it up and running again. You see, I tolerated the noises. I tolerated the sounds. I tolerated all of the signs that I needed to get my clutch replaced. And what did I end up with? A new clutch, a new fan belt, new spark plugs, a new battery and a service later, all because I tolerated the signs for too long and I made allowance and I found myself in a bigger mess than if I just dealt with it in the first place. You see, the church of Thyatira, they tolerated this person and therefore that led them into more mess than they would have been if they just paid attention to the signs. In Matthew 7, 15, it says this about false prophets. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You know, it's such interesting imagery here because a wolf in sheep's clothing, they just look like sheep, right? They just look like a cute, fluffy sheep and they do not look harmless at all. Sorry, they do not look harmful at all, right? So they don't look harmful. On the outward, they look fine. But inwardly, they are evil and they are deceitful. And they cause people to think, instead of thinking of themselves last, like the Bible would teach, to think of themselves first. Instead of sacrificing their own time, talent, treasure to extend the kingdom of God and being self-sacrificial, they cause people to think in a way that serves themselves, to self-service instead. And don't we see that in our world all the time, where we're encouraged to put ourselves first before all else, to serve ourselves before anything else. But that is not what the Bible teachers and the church is actually not to tolerate this it says not to tolerate it in Romans 16 verse 17 to 18 it says I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions there's that um, disunity that we see and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught avoid them for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We are to avoid them. Because the church of Thyatira actually allowed this woman, it meant that they became responsible for it. You know, the church of Thyatira, they did have, to their credit, a bit of a dilemma going on, right? So, To work in either of the trades, in metal and fabric, the main way that people in that area made money, they had to be part of something called a guild, okay? Now, personally, as both the pastor and as an occupational therapist, I have to be part of professional bodies to be able to work in the jobs that I work in, right? Now, these guys were no different. Only the guilds that they were a part of, that they had to be a part of to work, that professional body, were pretty intense. And they had different, um, different events that people kind of needed to go to and attend. And these events, they would always open with uh, some kind of worship to another god because all of these guilds were associated with a pagan god. And so they would go to these things and they would have to eat food that was sacrificed to different idols and they would have to partake in the worship to these other gods gods to be a part of these guilds so there's a bit of a dilemma there right like either work and worship other gods or 
don't work and you won't be like don't worship other gods but you can't work that is a bit of a dilemma and you know it could be easy to look at that and be like oh that's not relevant to today but isn't it true that in 2022 we actually have workplaces in in some in some spaces that are asking their employees to really put their faith aside to align with the principles of the company and the beliefs of the company, at least while they are at work. Asking people to be put their faith aside and through that leading them astray because it's the path of least resistance. It's the easier path to take. I had the pleasure of being able to speak with our youth um, on Friday night at Bright Night. It was awesome fun. But one of the things we're talking about is the permission for influence that you have in your life, who you give and what you give permission for influence in your life. And we said this, and I stand by it, when an environment is influencing you away from God, more than you are influencing that environment for God, get out. If it's influencing you more away from God, then you are influencing that environment for God. You need to get out. Christians have been choosing faith over culture and trusting in God for his provision for many, many years. And today we are expected to do no different. You know, I... um, I kind of, you know, thinking about this, thought, I wonder if there's any other points in the Bible where there's a bit of advice about what to do here. And we don't have to wonder what to do because we do actually have the answer. In fact, Paul the Apostle wrote about a very similar thing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10. He wrote a warning about this idolatry. And Paul's advice, really? Don't even go there. You see, what was happening at the time is that the Corinthians, there were many of them who were going to these networking events to further in their career, in their jobs, they had to attend these networking events. But similar to the guilds, they had sacrificed, they had um, elements of that that were sacrificing to other idols and where they had to participate in worship to other gods. And the Corinthians said to Paul, we know that Jesus is the one true God the son of God. That's why it's so important he said son of God because these guys are being led into believing in other gods but he reminds them I am the son of God, I am the one true God, right? I told you to remember that, it was important. So they're they're saying to Paul, we're just going to these things, we don't believe in it, we're fine. You know, what does it matter? And Paul more or less says to them, if the Israelites fell surrounded by miracles, Who do you think you are to think that you can withstand the environment? Who do you think you are to think that you would be any different to them? In verse 20 to 22, it says this. It says, no, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? What positions and environments are you putting yourself in? And who are we to think that we will be any different? Any different to the Israelites? Any different to the Corinthians? Any different to the church of Thyatira? Who are we to think that we will be any different? You see, you might be listening today and thinking, well, I mean, I'm not really in any places where they're literally worshipping other gods. Like, I don't think this is overly relevant for me. The thing is, is that idolatry is just as real today as it was ever. Right? The only thing is, is that it's disguised in different forms and different costumes. Idolatry is so real in our lives today. If you have anything, 
in your life that you see above God or anything that you prioritise above God in your life, that thing is an idol. That might be money. Do you make decisions based on what God wants or based on your finance? Do you make God? Or do you make decisions based on pleasing people or pleasing God? You know, on face value, that seems fine. But then think about, you know, maybe you're at work and maybe someone says something and your faith doesn't align with that. And think about it. You might, you know, you feel that conviction to speak up in that moment, but you're too worried about what they will think. You want to tell them about Jesus and you want to even offer to pray for someone maybe. You have that conviction, but you step away because you don't know what they'll think. In that moment, you have chosen people over God. You have chosen the thoughts of people over what God thinks about you. And that in itself is an idol in your life. I don't know whether you have some kind of vice in your life. There are so many different things that can take the form of idols in our lives. But we have the opportunity to repent. You see, if we can't come to a place where we give ourselves over to God in that repentance, we'll never live in the satisfaction that God has for us. The more you make room for Jesus, the less you will tolerate. So never lose sight of who God is. There's a couple of things we can learn really briefly from this church of Thyatira um, about remembering who God is. Number one, reorientate yourself back to who God is. Have you noticed it in all of the letters? The first thing that Jesus does is He reorientates the churches back to the truth of who He is. He tells them more about who He is in this letter, specifically the Son of God, because they have fallen into idolatry, right? He reorientates back to who He is. I think of that kind of like when we pray and the first thing we can do is praise Him. You know, what does Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? Oh God, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He reorientates back to the truth of who God is. So the first thing we can do is reorientate ourselves back to who God is. Remember that He is the righteous judge, the one true God, a God that loves us and a God that deserves all the glory. Number two, we can appreciate the gospel. Appreciate the gospel for the power that it has. You know, I don't think the people in Thyatira were actually appreciating the gospel. Why do I say that? Because they were trying to add to it. They were adding to it and taking away from it. And anytime we do that, we don't realise the good news that we actually have. You see, we believe in a God who loves us so much that He gave His one and only Son to die on the cross for our sins, but was raised again, claiming all authority, defeating the power of sin and death and having authority over all nations. You see, what's so important to remember is that yes, Jesus is the Son of God, so He came fully as God. There was never a moment He wasn't God, but He also lived fully as man. And so every temptation you face, every trial you face in life, He gets it. He had to go through that exact same thing in different ways, right? But yet He lived a perfect life, something we could never do. And He took our sins to the cross because He loves us and wants to have relationship with us. And through Him, we have authority over nations. We have authority over the power of the enemy. Everything comes under the feet of Jesus and in our lives because of what He did. And that is good news. So when we try to add or take away from that, we don't fully appreciate the power that is in it and the impact it has in our lives. So the second thing you can do don't allow yourself to be shortchanged 
by not fully appreciating the gospel. Maybe you need to take some time reflecting in prayer and asking Jesus to show you and overwhelm you with the power that is in his gospel message, the story of Jesus and what he's done for us. Appreciate the gospel. Don't be shortchanged. Number three, remember your covenant relationship. You see, in the, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, we see a lot about covenant relationships. There are often a way that relationship was done between kings. So you would have a superior king and then you would have an inferior king. The superior one, they were able to set the terms. Okay, The inferior king, they could either agree to the terms or, dis- or they could turn away and say, no, nah, I'm not interested. The way that God does relationship is through covenant. Right, Old Testament, Old Covenant. New Testament, New Covenant. God does relationships through covenant and they're a very serious agreement. In fact, when these kings would make these agreements, the inferior one would have to walk, walk down an aisle separated between, which had animals on either side that were separated down the middle. The reason they did that was because it more or less said, if you break this covenant or if I break this, may what has been done to these animals happen to me? It is a serious, serious relationship. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Now, clearly when it comes to God, He is the superior. We are the inferior. Thank goodness for that. And we can agree to the terms, but we can't change it. We can't change what is in His Word, right? That's not the deal. But we get a loving Father. We get to know God. We get forgiven for all of our sins. And we did really nothing for it, but said, yes, Jesus, I love you and I I thank you. And I believe in you, right? You know, Pastor Ben mentioned last week that the church has kind of married the world. When we do that, we break that covenant with God because marriage is a covenant. Our relationship with God is a covenant. So really, we're cheating on God. When we have idolatry in our life, we are cheating on God. It talks a lot about adultery in that passage, but adultery isn't just the physical, it's also the spiritual. So remember the importance of your covenant relationship on God. And four, repent. He extends an opportunity for us that even when we have messed up time and time again, we can always turn back and run back towards Jesus and the plans that He has for us in in our lives. Isn't He a gracious and good God? We need to remember to repent. Let's not be like Jezebel and refuse to repent, but let's accept the love and the goodness that God has for us. When it comes to meeting with Jesus, whenever that day comes, there is no pointing fingers. You know, our kids are like, it was her fault, it was his fault, it's not me. We don't get to do that when we get there, right? I mean, we can't get to heaven and be like, oh, but Jesus, it was them. They made me do it. No one can repent for you except for you. No one else is responsible for your actions except for you. So here's the point. Before you do anything, put Jesus above everything. Before you do anything, put Jesus above everything. I'm going to get everyone to stand. And as we leave this place today, I hope that we can remember to create some room in our life for hearing His voice, for reading His Word, for reflecting on who He is and for remembering to put Jesus above all else. But I want to give people right now a moment to respond and with everyone's eyes closed just to give people privacy. I want to give people a moment to 
I suppose have a think. Is there anything in your life right now where you are allowing other things to influence you, influence you over the Word of God that are influencing you more than God is in your life? Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's a business icon. Maybe it's a motivational speaker that you love listening to or a podcast. It could be a political leader. Or maybe it's just an area of your life that isn't a person, but you're giving it influence over the influence of God. There are so many other voices in this world that can take the place of voice, uh, the, take the place of the voice of God. And so I want to give people an opportunity right now to respond and say, God, there are some other voices that have been influencing me, but I choose that you will be my greatest influence. And I choose and I ask you to set my mind and my heart right in this moment. So with everyone's eyes closed, if you just want to raise your hand just as a sign, it's just between you and God, but just raise your hand to heaven and just to acknowledge that, yeah, you know what, God, there are some things that are influencing me over you. And I need to realign my heart and my mind with you today. God, I thank you for these people right now who are saying, God, come renew my heart, renew my mind. I want to follow you. Who are in this moment taking a position of repentance, saying, I thank you, God, for your love. And I thank you that I can run back towards you. I'm sorry for the ways that I may have been led astray. But God, would you be the biggest influence in my life? God, I pray for these people that you would just bless them. God, that as they leave this place today, that they would hear your voice so clearly, that they would have incredible discernment, that they would know what not to tolerate. And God, that they would have such a deep revelation of who you are. Thank you, God. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.